I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The part of under. Rock and roll. The spell you run has been broken by Chris Jericho. Woo! The People's Podcast is here. The remedy for boredom has arrived. Let's go for a ride. Feel good. All right. Feel good. All right. Feel good. Frankenstein. Woo! A little homage to Le Crew, Motley Crew, uh, currently on their um, retirement tour, their farewell tour. Hard to believe, 30 years, 35 years, whatever it's been of Motley Crew on their final tour. If you haven't checked it out, please go. Uh, I have not had the chance to see it yet, which is kind of a drag. I want to go check it out. Um, you know, I've never really thought of Motley Crue as one of my favorite bands. Yes, yet I've been a fan of theirs for 30 years. Have every one of the records, even the the two records with John Karabi. Sorry, the one record with John Karabi and the one record where John wrote a lot of the songs, The Generation Swine. I have New Tattoo that has Randy Castillo on drums. I have all of them. But I would never consider the crew to be one of my favorite bands, yet whenever I hear one of their songs, I like it. Kind of strange. I don't know why. But I remember the first time I saw Motley Crue was I was at my friend Stacy Daynard's house, and he had Shout at the Devil, and I was looking at the front cover, and I was like, wow, these are some ugly-looking chicks, except for Tommy Lee. I thought that was a good-looking chick, and I couldn't figure out why the blonde one in the front um, had like these suspenders on and a flat chest, and you can see her nipples. And I was like, how is this flat-chested chick on the cover of this album. How can they, how can the censors allow this? And then he told me, no man, these aren't chicks, they're guys. And the flat chested chick I was looking at was, um, Vince Neil. So there you go. And loved the first record. Uh, shout of the devil went back and bought the first record too fast for love, which is still not my favorite, but it's, it's a classic record for me. The Motley Motley Crue's best work are the first two records that they ever did. As far as just attitude, songwriting, Nikki Six's songs are really, really good. He's a great songwriter. Definitely one of the best uh, in rock and roll history and very underrated. I believe Then when theater of pain came out, they went totally glam, and I thought that was okay. Smoking in the boys' room. Everybody loved that when you were like 14 years old. I always loved Louder Than Hell, Keep Your Eye on the Money, Fight for Your Right. I like the heavier songs in that record. Girls, 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 I thought was okay. Obviously, Wild Side and Girls, 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 great tunes. The, the forgotten tune on that record is Dancing on Glass. 
I always love that witchy tombstone smile. Witchy tombstone smile. Just think of that. Your, your teeth are so messed up from the meth that you have a witchy tombstone smile. Your teeth are like tombstones. Get it? First time I ever saw Crew was on the Theater of Pain tour. Autograph was opening. Remember Autograph? Turn up the radio! <laughs> and Tommy Lee's drum riser raised and it had something written on the side. It went from like flat up into, I guess you'd say, like vertical. And I couldn't see what it said, so I thought it said welcome. And my friend's like, it doesn't say welcome. It says eat me. So uh, it went from welcome to the show, guys, to eat me. And that's when I figured out the real Motley Crue. Then I saw them again. I raced straight over to the Winnipeg Arena from water polo practice to see the Girls, Girls, Girls tour with Whitesnake opening. And halfway through Whitesnake's set, David Covell just said, excuse me. And he ran off stage and uh, came back on stage and said, I have the worst diarrhea I've ever had in my life. I had to go off stage and take a crap. So that was pretty rock and roll right there. And that was also the night, if you've read The Heroin Diaries, I believe it's called, Nikki's book, where he says that he lit his hotel room door on fire at the West Inn in Winnipeg. I was downstairs at the West Inn trying to meet Motley Crue. Little did I know that the reason why Nikki Six wasn't downstairs uh, greeting and meeting fans and signing autographs and taking pictures is that he was in the middle of a heroin freakout and was too busy lighting his hotel room door on fire. There you go. Then saw them again on the Dr. Feelgood tour. I believe Tesla was the opening band. Never really got into Tesla too much, but that was a good tour as well. And then, of course, uh, the breakup happened. Vince Neil quit, Motley Crue put out a solo record, which I loved, You're Invited, But My Friend Can't Come, was the first song that I used for my first highlight tape, my first highlight reel. You know, when, when you're first starting out in wrestling, you put together the best moves that you have and, you know, good moments and matches that you've done. And I used You're Invited, But Your Friend Can't Come by Vince Neil as my uh, theme song behind it. Also, the, the, the Motley Crue record that came out with John Karabi. I remember I was the first in line. I bought it, I think, the same day as Pantera, Far Beyond Driven. And that says all you need to know. In 94, the crew were kind of down and out, especially with a new singer that wasn't Vince Neil. They changed their style, made it heavier. Didn't really like the record too much at the time because I was expecting same old situation and slice of your pie. But if you go back and listen to that record, Motley Crue, Motley Crue, it is a great record. It's a monster record. It's it's super heavy, great riffs, um, great performances from Tommy Lee, I think is amazing. And Mick Mars is off the chain on that record. Went and saw them in Knoxville when I was working for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and they were playing at just the theater. I think it was like the Knoxville Theater. So they went from arenas to theaters, and I thought it was a good show, but once again, it wasn't as riotous and wasn't as sexy as when Vince Neil was on stage, even though Karabi was a way better singer, had a much better range and more balls, but as a front man, couldn't touch old Vince. No way. Then they put out the Generation Swine record. I remember I bought that in Tokyo, Japan when I was on tour. Thought it was okay. New tattoo. Not even sure where I got that. I think I got it in a bargain bin somewhere. And then uh, Saints of Los Angeles came out. I remember 2008, we were coming back from a tour of Mexico. I picked it up, listened to it when I got back to the States. Really, really liked that record. I think um, Saints of Los Angeles, Emmer Effer of the Year. Amazing tune. They played both of those live on their farewell tour. I saw Motley Crue in Tampa around, around that time. And they were playing again uh, at a theater. I went with Bubba the Love Sponge and Undertaker's first wife, Jody, and my wife. So, um, which was led to a funny story. When I first met Undertaker years later, I said to him, Hey, I'm Chris Jericho. Nice to meet you. Uh, how's your wife? And he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. And I was like, Oh, because I went to a concert with her and Bubba the Love Sponge with Motley Crue, and he was not having it. And I remember I met Mick Mars backstage, and he was so embarrassed that they didn't, they didn't have any promo pictures to sign. I, I, he signed a napkin for me, and he's like, I'm so sorry. We should have promo pictures, but we don't have any. I'm really embarrassed. And I was like, don't worry, Mick Mars. It's okay. It's always funny when you meet fans and they call you both names. Like, I meet a lot of fans that say, hi, Chris Jericho. Hey, Chris Jericho, can we take a picture with you? Excuse me, Chris Jericho, uh, how, uh, can, can you sign this? And it's like, Chris will suffice. So Mick Mars signed the napkin. He was sad he didn't have the promo shot. And then the last time I saw Motley Crue was at the Hollywood Bowl about three years ago. Poison was opening. 
I went with James Durbin and Dolph Ziggler. And that show was amazing. Uh, great performance. Vince Neil was on 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 uh, on the mark, and they sounded amazing. And I think they're going out on top. You know, Motley Crue, one of those bands that maybe even a little bit forgotten in the overall scheme of things, but definitely, definitely Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame worthy. They will be in the Hall of Fame someday. And when they are, I will go to the arena. And check it out. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Um, so, Motley Crue, I think if you get a chance to go see them, do it. Always a great show. Great songs. And today, it's going to be one of the greatest podcasts in the history of podcasts. With one of the biggest guests ever, Triple H, is on the show. And thank you for joining me today. Hope you enjoyed uh, Batista last couple weeks. Also went to the house of a true rock and roll legend this week and did another great 90-minute interview with that person. It's a little bit of a secret. Not going to tell you until the time is right. But the time is right if you're going to do your Amazon shopping, great segue, to go through my links at podcastone.com. That's the easiest way to support the show. Amazon is a proud sponsor of Talk is Jericho. And every time you shop at Amazon through my link, Amazon gives a small percentage of your purchase back to the show to help us cover production costs. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keeper Podcast free banner at the top of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button i've got amazon links for the usa the uk and canada a bookmark it so you can get to those links in one easy click have you heard do you want to start a war yet do you have do you want to start a war amazon is doing a special right now you can get fozzy's new record the critically acclaimed new record the record that appeared at number 54 in the billboard charts you can get it at for 5.99 only on amazon and i'm also proud to say that lights go out is now at number 29 on the charts. Our first official top 30 single went from top 40 to top 30. If you like the song, thank you. If you've picked it up on iTunes, thank you. If you haven't heard it, well, now's your chance, man. Get your head out of the ground and check out Lights Go Out from Fozzie right here on top is Jericho. Just us colliding When the lights go out We own the night 
think? Did you like it? If you did, hit me up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho, at Fozzie Rock, at I am Jericho. Tell me your thoughts. Give me your hopes and dreams because I'm here for you. Not just on the Twitter, but on Talk is Jericho as well because, like I said, the biggest guest in podcast history, Triple H, is next and I am ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. It's, it's actually funny. We were talking about how we're at SummerSlam here. I'm sitting here with Triple H, and right next door is like all the free SummerSlam swag. Yeah. Any, anytime the boys uh, have an opportunity to get something free, it's like a shark feeding frenzy. <laughs> I was just laughing walking in this door is that there's like this feverish milling around going around this table of like free new logo WWE yeah. merch. But I swear, if you put... Log, turd logs on that table <laughs> they'd all be like I need a turd is that a free turd I need a turd give me a turd right. I still like it. Steve still wears the uh, XFL shirts the if, Memphis Maniacs hey, if it's free <laughs> yeah. I, we, I, we did this uh, the panel thing me and Sean yesterday. like Sean is the king of free like it, it, the only thing he had on I think that wasn't like a freebie from a sponsor was his pants and I think he's trying to work on Wrangler right now he's, he's like, like a total mountain man now you see oh pictures of him and God. it's hard to believe that he's like the sexy boy you know yeah it's unbelievable uh, the change but I don't know it just uh, it's funny it's just him now right he's everything he does he, he's constantly got on these like rattlesnake boots and I'm like you, you, you're aware we're in Denver there's no rattlesnake here <laughs> yeah. you know it, it's it's amazing I mean that you, you talk about Sean and all the stuff you guys have done together and how much time you've actually been here how when did you start in the WWE I started in 95 but I think I got hired at the end of 94 but then like uh, you know is that one of those things like Bischoff had a court injunction put against me where I couldn't compete for like four months oh really in the US and it was really not even in my contract but so like he put it against me and um, at the time J.J. Dillon was was uh, head of talent relations and he was like this thing's crap we're gonna fight it and <laughs> but it took him four months to fight it so it was kind of they brought me to a few events during that time um, and actually it was cool that they were um there was a period of time in there where I couldn't work, but they were tearing down the, they were tearing down the Boston Garden, uh-huh. and you know it's like one of those things where you had, I had gone there my whole life, right, and seen wrestling there, and and was such a big fan, and and I called up and was like, you know, hey JJ, they're tearing down the Boston Garden. I know I, I know I know I'm not supposed to work because of this court injunction, but like I'd, I'd give anything, like I'll pay to fly myself in, I'll I'll pay the guy to come and work with me. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> care, I want to work, and they flew me in. But I don't think I started. Um, I think I started on TV until after WrestleMania eleven. Right after that, they started my vignettes. Did, and when you said that you left WCW, did you walk out on the contract or something? Or why did Bischoff put an injunction on you? No, it was the weirdest thing, that, and that's what you know. JJ was saying like it, it doesn't work. You, my, so when I signed with them, I went down there, and, and I've, I've said this in interviews before, but it's one of those things like you look back on and you go like. I can't believe I had the balls to do this, but like <laughs> I, I went in, I had a dark match tryout, um, 
I went to two TV tapings. I, I had a dark match on the first night. Second night, they had me to have a dark match again. No one said a word to me about anything. So I went back to my hotel. The next day, I was going to fly home. I'm like, man, I guess... I guess they weren't interested. Everybody was telling me you got a job, great, you know. And then I thought, and this like, is well, with WWE, WWE, uh, no, no, WCW. Oh, WCW, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, when I went there. So uh, right as I'm leaving, I'm about to walk out my door. Like literally, the door's closing. My hotel room, the phone rings. I run over and it's Bischoff, and he says, "Want well, you know, give you this two year deal?" But it was, um, it was like fifty grand for the wow. year, which sounds great, but it's like all in. Yes, right? and they were working a lot then. So I'm like, geez, with road and pay your expenses. man, everything and all that stuff. Like, holy cow! Like in my mind, I'm like quickly doing the math, thinking, geez, I'm gonna starve to death. Like two years, that's a long time. So I said, uh, he goes, I balked at it, and he was like, you balking at that? And I said, well, <laughs> his financially seems tight. I said, uh, and he goes, well, I'm not giving you any more money. And I said, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Clearly, you don't know me and don't know if I'm worth it. So how about this? How about we sign one year? And you got 12 months and either you're going to know I'm worth I'm not worth 50 grand in a year or you're going to know I'm worth a lot more than 50 grand at the end of a year mm-hmm. so and he was like nah, that's stupid but if that's what you want to do okay <laughs> so I was like alright but it worked out great because at the end of the year uh, my contract was up I spoke to him a little bit they were putting Regal and I together as a tag team at mm-hmm. that time the, the Blue Bloods and uh, they just uh, just made plans like I had gone with Sherry Martell and she was getting all these ball gowns made, um, and we were going to take her. She was going to screw Harlem Heat. They were going to mm-hmm. tag titles on us. We were going to do all this stuff. And then they were bringing the Steiners in. Which I, I don't know how I felt about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I'm the low guy in totem pole. They're going to be chucking me all yeah, over. Yeah, you're the getting suplexed yeah. all across. <laughs> so, but uh, they really weren't, like, making it worth anything to stay. And it was so messed up there, as you mm-hmm. know later. You know, Hogan and flair there was just these factions and everything was a mess and there was no organization and even when i left like they were agents but they didn't do anything with you like you know just nothing no like ganya would come and say like you go over and then he'd just like go back to playing cards yeah. or and um so there's no structure organization and i met with vince um so terry taylor put out word this is one of those things interesting work with terry taylor put out word through the dirt sheets he called wade keller or somebody like mm-hmm. that and said Hey, uh, you know, his contract's up. He's been talking events. So it kind of opened a door for me to come in and speak with uh, JJ. And I, I called actually Pat. Pat put a word in with JJ because I'd met Pat a year before. And, and JJ um, was head of talent relations at the time. Y- yep. Yeah. So I came up, had a meeting, quick meeting with Vince. And he wasn't like, he didn't seem like Vince clearly didn't know who I was and was yeah. not enamored. And well, good luck, you know. And I left and I was like, all right. Well. <laughs> And I, but I went and worked a pay per view with uh, his name's right on the tip of my tongue in WCW. Yeah, Alex Wright. Uh, Alex Wright. Yeah, I, I kept thinking Alex Riley and that in it. <laughs> Alex Wright. Wrong Alex. Das Wonderkid. Yeah. And so we worked at Starcade. It was my first pay per view ever. We worked at Starcade, and uh, I think that was in Nashville. And we went to Chicago. And when I got to Chicago, they told me, "Hey, your mom's been calling here because there was no." cell phones or pagers or anything right and uh so i call home thinking something was wrong she goes hey jj dylan's been calling the house all day so i called vince was in boca on vacation because it was right before christmas and uh he called made me an offer to come up and i was like um, that's, that's it right done yeah I, I think i would assume that you were like me like you grew up in the boston area i grew up in, in, in winnipeg and yeah. all i wanted to do was work for wwf like WWF. yeah that was the thing to me care about anything else no and and but you know i i grew up lucky in that i had I had, uh, you know, like some guys just had the one, whatever was mm-hmm. local to them. Like I had WWF, but I also got, I got TBS. So I had all the NWA stuff. And, and um, I also had all the um, Von Eric stuff out of Texas. Oh, okay. So I got a lot of wrestling. On a Saturday morning in my house, I was on the couch till like 1 in the afternoon or 2 in the afternoon. It was from 8 a.m. through. It was <laughs> one, shows, one, yeah. one product after another of, of wrestling, you know. But. WWF was what I went and saw, you know, that's mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what was local to me. So those are the guys I saw, those are the guys. So to me the 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 be all end all was was coming here and and um when I had the opportunity to come here, it you know, it yeah. really wasn't a whole lot of question. But. Yeah. I went to WCW for the sole purpose of hopefully I'd get seen by somebody here. Yeah, when when know? to be honest, when I so I had just done a show um was it, you remember Ron Reese? Yeah, the, the Yeti, big giant. Right? Hey, yeah. dude. Hey, <laughs> yeah. dude. We used to call him T-Rex because he had <laughs> yeah, short arms. Yeah, stubby arms, right? <laughs> so um, still the funniest scene ever in wrestling is him and giant 
<laughs> Double ending Hogan, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Sodomizing <laughs> yeah. Hogan. It's either the funniest or most erotic, depending on your <laughs> you point side, Which is basically wrestling as a whole. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, just as hard. But, <laughs> but, uh, so, Pat had come to a show. Ron Reese was brought in and trained by Kowalski. Mm, okay. Um, by Big John Studd. Studd was looking for a way to come back in. So before he got sick and passed away, um, he was looking for a way to get back in the oh, business. Yeah. And he wanted to bring Reese in as they were going to put masks on and come in as these giants, right? And um, so he brought Reese in to be trained by Kowalski six months later or whatever as a favor to uh, Studd. Pat came to a show to see Ron Reese wrestle. When we got done, Pat pulled me aside. I was just wrestling for Kowalski and local guys doing the independence all over wherever I could get work right mm-hmm. just like we all did and um, Pat pulled me aside and was like how long you been working you know get another six months under your belt to show and, and let's and let's talk again and um, so that made me realize like hmm maybe like I, I was petrified of the WWF like I was like oh my god I can't I could never go there no TV experience Yeah. so I started feverishly trying to get anywhere that I could. That was my. That was my like. Okay, green light. Pat thinks there's something there. Maybe it's time for me to start to look to branch out to bigger stuff, like someplace with TV, because they were thinning out mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, Perry Saturn had gone to Memphis. I had talked to Perry a bunch and was ready to go down there potentially. Um, had an offer to go down there, but Perry was like, "We're we're all starving to death, dude. Yeah. Like you gotta, you know." He's like, "You can get a job and all that, but we're starving to death and we're driving everywhere and, uh, you know." You, you got to try to, like, if you're going to come in, we'll, we'll try to hook you up with somebody so you can at least, you know, have a roommate and, mm-hmm. like, we'll try to... Save some gotta, money. Yeah, you got to try to pare it down. But while I was trying to get every place else, the WCW thing opened up, and exactly like what you said to me, I was like, oh, that's perfect. I can go there, and I can learn how to do TV, like, learn how to work the cameras and learn... Because I knew I didn't know any of that. I'd never done an interview before, oh, you know, okay, like, yeah. other than, like... You know, the guy at the newspaper, or, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, never done, like, TV show stuff. And um, that's a whole different art form, you know. Mm-hmm. So going there, I, I would sit around, because they didn't teach it, you know, like never. WCW. No, no. So I would just go around, and I would just sit next to whoever, whoever was doing anything. You know what I mean? I would sit, and if Flair was doing promos or Vader, whoever, I would sit and I would watch, and I would watch for where the cameras, like how are they, like what are they trying to face, and what are they doing? And man, I'd go even when I wasn't working the TV tapings. You know, all the nasty boys, everybody used to make fun of me. You're not working? What are you, an idiot? You know what I mean? I'd just sit and I'd be in the locker room, just glued to the monitor because I want to like figure out, like, all right. So now that I've been inside center stage and I know Mm -hmm. where the cameras are, and I'm now trying to figure out, like, okay, so Steamboat's doing this that way because he's trying to face that big camera on the long stick i didn't know it was called a chip you know like that's how you try for me that's how i try to learn the tv on my own and mm-hmm. obviously when you get up here a whole different ball game do you remember the the they used to call it the box where you, did you ever have to go in there to cut the local promos like you know peoria we're coming to so i never had to do that for wcw here here oh my god like here that, that used was to like be. boot camp like interview boot camp absolutely so when i got here that's where i really learned it because now i i you know we'd get done doing superstars or or wrestling challenge or whatever those shows yeah. were where you'd worked four or five times just enhancement matches mm-hmm. um i you know like that's where i've like worked with the hardys for the first time they were like 17 <laughs> they came in here as extras and stuff you know and so work, working on those, and then you'd get downstairs, and then it was like a totem pole of pecking order of who went in the booth yeah. downstairs in the little sound room to do their their market-specific promo. So at like 4 in the morning, you'd be down there after sitting and waiting for three hours, and Lanza would be in the booth with you, and you're, you know, I'm coming. <laughs> smoking. Uh, yeah, I'm coming to you, you know. <laughs> yeah. You're becoming Rochester, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take you dumpster. on Salvio Vega. Yeah, yeah, Duke right. the dumpster when I get there. You know, like <laughs> And you're trying to learn how to do them, and that's how you, you know. But that's that, that was a good way to learn, though. I absolutely, cut my teeth with that. Absolutely, and it's all reps, and you know, you start to learn when a guy like Lanza starts going, "That's good, that's good. That one was good, man. Do another. Okay, do the next time. Oh, okay, that was great. You know, you try to make them different, and you try to learn, and and uh, you know that, yeah, it's it, you know, it's reps for yes, right. a lot of this stuff. It's right. reps, and the and then somebody telling you the how and the why, and then you start to pick it up on your own, but it's just doing it, doing it, doing it. I remember, for, for, did you guys do them with an interviewer or just by yourself? Sometimes either or. Because we always said it was either Mean Gene or Lee Marshall, and those guys were masters of the craft, yeah. so even if you started to stumble and bumble, they could help you through it. Yeah. You know? What you're trying to say, Chris, is yes, so that's what I'm trying to say. My first live television interview ever uh-huh. was with Soli. 
Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, so they tell me, like, hey, you got an interview. And I'm like, oh. And it's, like, live. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, like, my freaking out. And then they go, it's with Soli. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> Most famous ring announcer, right. commentator ever. Yeah. yeah. And then I get there, and he's hammered. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? And he's, like, he's hammered, and he's, like, like they're counting us in. And he's like, all right, well, I'm asking you again, kid. Like, he's, you know. What's your name? Com- completely, like. <laughs> I'm I'm out of my mind. I have no idea what to say. And this is when they just started me with the French character. So I'm like trying to do like this French accent. Oh, right. like just miserable. And right as they're counting me in like 15 seconds, like um, uh, Mike Graham comes up behind me and he goes, listen, if he starts to teeter over <laughs> during the interview, clothesline him and get some heat. <laughs> and, I'm, and they're like, two, one. <laughs> I'm like a deer that light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you had a couple of interesting gimmicks in, in WCW. There was the French guy. Yeah. Is that just because of your last name is Levesque? Or? Yeah, so I, one day, you know, first there, well, first up, they bring me in the terrorizing thing. Yeah, was, so, what's that all about? Yeah, so <laughs> Kowalski came to me one day and was like, you know, he's always had these, like, gimmick tours that we were going to do that never panned out, right? It was uh, I need you. Do you have a passport? I'm like, no. I was like, three months. I've got. I just got here. I'm just training, right? And he's like, we are going to South America, and you need a passport. Come to Boston tomorrow. I'm going to take you to the passport office, and you're going to get a private friend. He will get you a passport. And then so he he does the thing, and so I'm like, I'm going to go to South America. And he's like, so now like the next day he comes to me, and he's like, we need to give you a name because. I need to put it on the posters. And so I go and I'm wrestling. And then at the end of the class, he comes and he's got a pizza lid. <laughs> and he writes on it, terrorizer. Uh-huh. And I'm like, he goes, you are the terrorizer. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, you know, he had guys that wrestled there, like Jed Scream, a guy that just ran to the ring. I was like, ah! <laughs> like, right? And so it was everything was his ogie gimmicks and the, the terrorizer. And I'm like... Wow, and he's like, you don't, you don't like that, and I'm like, well, can I just have a name, like yeah, a na- and like a name, and who's it's just a name, and I'm no, it's like a, it, it's just a one word thing, but it's not really a name and stuff. It's I like a, a first name and a last name, and he he took a black sharpie <laughs> magic marker and drew it the line between the words terror rise, uh, well yeah, it was terrorizer between the words terror and riser, and there now it is a name. Terror Riser, right? And that was the name. And then it got screwed up on the thing. The, of course. That, that tour didn't pan out, but then, like, shortly thereafter, I had my first match. And, of course, it, on the thing, it said Terror Rising. And then it just became my name. That's my name. <laughs> and uh, so when I got there and they hired me, they were like, this is like the worst name ever. We're going to give, we're going to repackage you. Don't worry. We're going to repackage you, give you a character, the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, great. I go home. <laughs> like, literally, I go home back to New Hampshire. So I got the job, like I'm all excited. I go home and I was at my girlfriend's house when I'd taken the dog outside and all of a sudden she comes running out and she goes, oh my God, you're on TV next. What? Like, this is my dark matches. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I'm like, like they told me, oh, it'll be three months before we debut you on TV. We're going to give you a new package, the whole thing, all this gimmick. I, I run back in the house and <laughs> sure, I, mean, I come out against like Keith Cole or whoever it is and I'm like, at the ter- terrorizing and I'm like, oh, oh my God, you know. <laughs> freaking out so i wait on monday i call the office and they're like this was the worst explanation i'd ever heard they said i said guy you guys we're going to repackage me and do all the stuff now you put me on tv with that thing like i don't understand like are we not doing that no 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 we're still going to do that and i said but now you've put me on tv as something else like i don't understand they go oh don't worry about it no one watches those shows anyways (laughs) (laughs) Good excuse, right? But classic yeah, WCW, though. Absolutely. Very much. Uh, like, like, and then and then they called me, and it was a long-winded story I was getting to, was, yeah, one day, finally, I'd been there forever, and finally they called me up, and they want me to go to CNN to do these promos, and Flair had taken over the booking, and Flair brings me in a room, and he goes, we love your last name, and we're going to give you the the a new gimmick and all that, that you're going to be John Paul Levesque from France. And he's like, now go in the other room and cut promos on Alex Wright in French. And I'm like... I don't speak French. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know any French words at all. Even like yeah, I don't yeah. even remotely do I speak French at all. And, and I'm like, first up, it's a very common name for It's like Smith. It's not very right. original. And like, well, we all like it. And you're a French guy, so go in the other room. And so like, I go in the other room and cut like these 
Jack Clouseau impersonation <laughs> promos. Yeah. They're like brutal, like just absolutely brutal. I mean the Yoon. Yeah. The dog does not bad. And then I come out and, and Rick's there and I go, excuse me, Mr. Flack, um, so what is the character and stuff? And he goes, it's up to you to figure out. Yeah, right. I don't know. He just gave you the name change. So that's when I came out. I did the riding boots and the, like I try to think of what's the yeah, what's a French what's guy? The, what's a French guy in the worst possible heat uh-huh. driven French thing I could do to make somebody hit me? I put a ribbon in my hair. I had thigh high riding boots <laughs> on and Regal saw I get a, a leather jacket with a big jabot on the front and then Regal saw I was like, that's great, you know. <laughs> and then somehow we ended up they tagged us together once on TV and it worked real good and they were going to run with it, you know. And then I came here. And then when you came here, it was was, was the, the Hunter Hearst Helmsley. What was the – because everybody that I've, I've talked to that came in here, you know, from, from Goldust to, to, you know, Farouk, they, how, what was the story on, on, on the Hunter Hearst Helmsley character? So, how was it pitched to you? And what so, was it? So Vince liked what I was doing and the oh. character, but he wanted me to be American, not – like, he was like, clearly you don't speak French. Right. Clearly, like, he, and, and he, you know, Vince thinks long term, right? She was like, if we ever turn your baby face, I'm going to make a, right. a French baby face. So, like, you're you're American. You're an American aristocrat. You're a blue blood. You know what? You'll be from Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> like, and he, he said to about. my neighbors, I hate them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'll be one of them and you'll be this aristocratic snob. And he, he put it all over. And then I didn't know what the name was at first. And then it's funny, they brought me to... Um, Columbus to TV just so I could meet everybody and, and uh, get to know all the guys a little bit and, and meet with the seamstresses and stuff and um, they showed me some drawings of you know what they thought the gear would look like and all that and and but J.J. Uh, Dillon pulled me aside and, and they had asked me to think of a bunch of names to give some input on it and I had a, a whole bunch of names of mine I tried to make cool and then J.J. Uh, called me in the room and said we, uh, we got your name you're going to be Reginald DuPont Helmsley and I was like, holy cow, like here I am in the bad name category again. Like I'm like, Reginald DuPont Helmsley. And he's like, yes, you know, like the Helmsleys, uh, the DuPont heirs and all that stuff. And I'm like, holy shit. And, and then he was like, well, you, you, did you have some stuff? And I, yeah, I had like a notebook pad with all these names on it. And uh, I said, you know, I was trying to come up. I, I had been trying to come up with something that was like that you could make initials out of. Mm-hmm. Right, and so I showed him a bunch of different ones, and I don't remember where they were, but it's just a bunch of different ones that all like certain initial plays and mm-hmm, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And um, like you mean like an MVP or something? Yeah, where yeah, yeah, something yeah. Gotcha. Spelled something out, right? right. And then uh, so he said, "Oh, let me take these and get them back to creative." And then the next thing I heard, they called me up. JJ called me up and said, uh, "Hey, we we went with a little bit of your suggestion. You're going to be Hunter Hurst Helmsley, mm-hmm. three H's." And I was like. Okay, that's you know, like I can work with that a little bit, right? Yeah, and uh, and so that's where we went. And then Sean started calling me Triple H day one. Really? Yeah, I think it was an Arn thing. Like he just uh, like what, what is what's your gimmick again? Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Holy crap! That's mouthful. Triple H, and then he just, <laughs> just walked off. You know that I with him was Triple H. And then just you know when we when we switched kind of out of the gimmicks to being a little mm-hmm. bit more real. Uh, Vince asked me at that time. He's like, you want to. You want to just use your real name? And I was like, uh, really? Like, I, I've got some time with this Hunter Hearst Helmsley thing, like the Hunter and all that stuff. And um, Sean came in and was like, just call him Triple H, what I call him. And Vince fought it for like a year. And then one day was like, we're going to start calling him Triple H. Like, it was his <laughs> Eureka, idea. of course. Yeah, of I course. have it. <laughs> Which is funny because now it's, I mean, obviously it's an iconic name. But at the time, I remember, I think I was just started with Triple H. And it was a little bit weird. Like, Triple H? Like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. You know no, what I mean? No, it is. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it was a nickname thing. And, and at first, especially when they would say it, it was yeah. like, it's like forcing a nickname right. is what it felt like, you know? And uh but then it just—it's yeah, and then yeah, it, and it just your name. becomes it's your great. name, right? No different than any name. I sure. always laugh at that. Like no matter how or any band weird, name or yeah, yeah, band name. Right. No matter the first time you hear, it, like that's weird, and yeah. then later that's just who they are. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Talk is Jericho. 
All right, Triple H is sitting right across from me here on Talk is Jericho. So uh, let's talk about your first days at WWE. Did you notice a big difference when you came from WCW to WWE? Absolutely. Amazing, I, I, right? Yeah, you know, it was like the... Uh, it's like coming out of like the Shriners Circus and going to Barnum and Bailey or something. It, it really was. There was just no rhyme or reason or organization. I remember like the when I had my dark match at Center, Center Stage Theater, like no one told me how to get to the ring. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, you're dark match with Keith Cole. Like, you know, and, and they did the setup and whatever, five minutes you go over. Right. Well, first they tell me he'll go over and I was like, okay. Yeah. So, like and then they called me and it was like Bischoff was like I was just testing you, <laughs> like testing me. Okay, whatever. But sure. then, so he's like, you go over and then so and then that's all they said. And then like it was like I could see like my match is coming up and I, like I had to like, go ask. I think I asked like Mick or somebody. Like mm-hmm. there was a, a few guys that kind of talked to me. Arn talked to me day one. Matter of fact, I, I became close with Arn. I started riding with Arn like almost immediately after that. Austin mm-hmm. talked to me, Mick Foley and uh, Regal. And Harley. Okay. Oh, Not wow. too many other guys. Yeah. Other guys talked to me. Harley, it was funny. Harley came up to me. So, you know, at center stage, it was the two rooms, like the jabroni locker room, like yeah. the extras, and then like the top guy yeah. room. So, so they, you know, I had just got there so early that they stuck my bag in the top guy locker room. So now all these guys come in. I'm like sitting in there. And they're, like, <laughs> they're, right? They're all looking at me. I don't know the difference, though, but I'm like, fucking, this is a rough place, man. These are, everybody's looking to kill me. And. And I'm just respectful. I don't, I'm not saying anything unless Boca do is stand up. Look, everybody and I shake their hand. Nice to meet you. Uh, you know, and Harley walks up to me. You know, Harley is with a cigarette, right? And he walks up to me and he's standing there looking at me. And I'm, hello, Mr. Race. I introduce myself. He's, how you doing? He smokes his cigarette. He's taking the time. And he's like, you were uh, trained by Kowalski. Yes, sir, I was. Thinks about it. <laughs> Shaking his head. Takes a big drag to see it. He was loving shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks away, and I'm like, oh, how do I take that? Like, I don't know. Does that mean I am? Like, I don't know, <laughs> right? right? And then uh, and then I had, I had the dark match, and when I came back, first guy I ran into was Arn. Mm. And Arn just walked by me and said, got yourself a job, kid. Mm. Congratulations. And just kept going. I was like, well, that sounds promising. Like, I was, you know, yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah. I saw Mick, and then Austin came to me. He's like, let me give you a piece of advice, kid. And he, like, told me something, and Regal mentioned something, and then... Uh, and then Harley, at the end of the night, like at the end of the show was getting done, I stayed to the very end. Everybody was cleaned out, leaving, and uh, Harley looked at me, and he was like, I was still watching the monitor, and he said, where are you staying? And I was, I didn't know any different. I was at the Marriott, right? Like, yeah. Nation right out the get-go. And uh, <laughs> he just said, uh, how are you getting there? And I said, uh, I guess I'll just take a cab back. He said, ride with me. Hmm. And, and uh, Vader was like... And started screaming, and Leon, and you know, Harley, yelled, shut up, you yeah. or whatever, and, and then said, Come with us. And he gave me a ride back, and so he was really nice to me. Arn was great, and, and uh, it was kind of a nice fit in, but there was just no, I didn't know where the ring was the yeah, first no day, direction. I didn't know anything. Yeah, there was no, we didn't even nothing. know who the boss was. Like, okay, Bischoff's the boss, but he wasn't the boss. No, when, the when boss, I got the there, I got there that day, Dusty answered the door. I bang on the back of the stage door at the center stage theater from my trout. Now, Bischoff had set it up. Uh-huh. I get there. Dusty answers the door. Who are you? I tell him <laughs> who I am, and then I'm there for a tryout. And he goes, who told you to come here for a tryout? I said, Eric Bischoff. Huh. All right. Well, it's not your fault. Come on in. So I go in. What I didn't know was that Dusty was booking. Bischoff was trying to get the book. Oh, gotcha. And they were in the middle of the switch. Right after that, Dusty was gone. Mm-hmm. Bischoff kind of came in, and then Flair took over booking for, in, for Bischoff. Bischoff right, was the right, boss, right. but Flair started booking. It was this really weird dynamic. Shortly thereafter, Hogan started, and mm. all this crazy stuff going on, but there was no direction to anything. It was, yeah. just, it was just, you just kind of showed. It, was, it really was like working... The indie shots for everybody yeah. else, but just with some TV cameras, right, right, and and big names, mm-hmm. and um, but here, man, there was a structure and an order, and you know everybody knew what you were doing. And when you come back, Chief would pull you aside and do this, do that. You know, like there was a lot of, and you, you got a lot of advice from the talent, and just a yes. lot of different things. So like people. As much as they want to see you do good, not too good, right? It was still the same deal, but yet it was just a whole nother realm of professional. Yeah, and, and you, you know. knew who was in charge. Yeah. You know, I remember yeah. even, even and, and nothing against Eric, but he would walk around with his hat on backwards, you know, leather jacket, sweatpants. Came here 
Vince Immaculate suit yeah. every day. Knows yeah. the names of everybody. Hello, you know, George, the lighting guy. Hello, you know, uh, Jack. And if he doesn't, hey, pal. Yeah, hey, pal. Yeah, but he acknowledges. And and that was a big difference you see right off the bat. Absolutely. Just the way it was structured. And and I think that's part of how, because it's it's led from the top. That's right, yeah. So everybody's that way here. Like, there's no, it's you know, there's the same stuff there is in any locker room or any other environment. But, like, that respect level Mm -hmm. and that thanks to everybody that. Right. you know, is here whether it's the rigging guy or the cameraman or somebody else. Like everybody appreciates it's a team. it. Absolutely, you know. Absolutely. So let's talk about about the the, the the click. And I mean, obviously, you talked about how Sean called you Triple H right away. Did they yep. kind of because he was he was the, the, in charge not in charge. He was the top guy. He was the champ, right? Um, so right then, I came in at eleven is when he and Kev did the match. So uh, Diesel was champion. They had just done the match where. Um, where Pam Anderson was with him okay, at right, WrestleMania right, right. and all that stuff, um, so it was kind of that transitional. But clearly, but Sean top was guys. yeah the top and guy. Brett, yeah. Brett was a top guy. Um, Taker, of obviously course. Taker, yeah. Kev, Scott. Mm-hmm. You know, I was friends with Terry Taylor, mm-hmm. who knew Sean. Mm-hmm. So when I was going to come up, Terry called Sean and just said, "Hey, this kid's going to come up. He's a good kid. Help, help, him, out. help him out, right?" right. And uh, but what I didn't know was that, and they told me this after, is so Scott and just like we all do, we'd all watch WCW or I'm sure they watched WWF. And you make fun of the gimmicks and you <laughs> yeah. make fun of the workers yeah. and all that stuff. Well, terrorizing was like their <laughs> right, <laughs> their go-to. Yeah, but I also knew, uh, I also found out later that they had gone to Vince a couple of times. Were like, you should look at bringing that kid in here. He's going to be pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they kind of saw something in me. So when I came in, like. Um, you know, Scott was Scott, but it was also, he would be Scott, but he would pull me aside. And, you know, just those first couple of weeks when I was trying to find my way, but they were really friendly to me. And then um, Sean tells a story <laughs> in his belief, but he, trust me, his memory of that period of time is very <laughs> not good. Yeah. Um, the first time I rode with him, I just happened to be at the Boston airport. We were going up to Portland. I just got in, and it had been one of those things where I had tried to ride with a few different guys, like Man Mountain Rock or mm-hmm. like a few guys, and there was misery, right? Like I'm like, I just can't do it. These guys, they don't, don't want to talk about the business. They're like miserable. Not really just, working out much. Yeah, yeah. And so I just happened to be at the airport, and I was going to make the loop by myself. And um, uh, I, Kevin, I'm waiting in the – the car line and Kevin pulls up in a big white van and he like sees me and he like waves me out so I lose my place in line I go out there and he's like what are you doing I said get in a car I'm like, who are you with I'm going to go by myself he's like jump in with us and uh, told the story of the panel the other night that so we used to get these white vans call them hose wagons because <laughs> we thought it was funny right <laughs> but so I get in there now like Scott gets in there, Sean gets in, and kids. One loop where everybody's on the same loop. My first loop, we drive up to Portland, we do the show. After the show, <laughs> we go to Denny's. And let's just say, long story short, we carry Kid out. Sean barely can carry him with me. Kevin drags Scott out because we're trying to get out there before the cops come. Wow. And and we're trying to avoid the rush of the guys that are coming out with us. <laughs> I'm slapping the crap out of Kid in the parking lot because I can't feel his heartbeat. Wow. And we all end up in the emergency room. Really? <laughs> this is first night. this is my first night. We get back to the hotel at like six. I lay down and I'm like, oh my God, like what just happened? And like I have to be up in like an hour for us to drive. I forget where we were driving, right, like right, to right. Worcester or something. And Kev like Kevin and I had well, like we're gonna train at seven mm-hmm. or three. So like got up and this would be the pattern. Like we get up, we went and trained, <laughs> we got in the car and I tried to stay awake. Either he was driving or I was driving, we tried to stay awake next to each other while everybody else was passed out. Because you don't drink and never do no. really anything, yeah. No, and, and Kev was he would do it occasionally, but Kev was much more of the uh like if I would say to Kev, like, uh, "Hey, we're gonna go out tonight, but I want to train. You want to mm-hmm. train in the morning?" I'm like, yeah, I want to train. Like, I'm not gonna drink. Right, right, right. So we'd still go out and mm-hmm. we'd still go to the clubs and we'd still be out all night mm-hmm. and then get two hours sleep. And but we'd get up and train. And those yeah. guys would lay around. And Scott <laughs> would come in and do two push-ups and two dips and look like a freak. And yeah, then, he was just like a spider. He'd be all like crumpled would, up and then just be like. Whoosh. He would blow. Up. I tell you, my first exposure to Scott Hall, I met him in the back. I was saying at Columbus. Uh-huh. And he walks up to me. I was with Road Dog because I knew Dog from WCW. We had worked together a little bit. Like he had come in the exact same time I did. But he was like an extra, and mm-hmm. so we had worked a couple of times. And then he came up here as uh, uh, 
Jeff's uh, yeah, yeah, roadie, the road right? Dog, right, right. Yeah, and so he was still here before he got fired, and uh, he, so he was kind of walking me around, meeting everybody. And Scott comes over to say hello, and I meet him, and he's like, hey, "I'm Scott," you know, and like how he is right now. Yeah. He goes, he's just, "Hey, remember one thing: tuck your chin for his finish, right?" <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I laugh, and he walks away. But in my mind, I'm thinking, like, "Oh my god." That little wormy, like old shuffly guy, yeah. is Scott Hall. Like that, it blew my mind. Two hours later, the show starts, and like he's on at the beginning of the show, and now I see him. He's got the vest and the chains. He looks like he's grown three feet. Yeah. He's done a couple of push-ups. He's like his body is doubled in size, <laughs> and he comes strutting down the hallway like he looks like this Adonis. And I'm like, what are they like? Two of them? Because it didn't, it didn't jive. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, you it was like, holy together, cow. Right. And I would see him make that transformation every night. You know, <laughs> it was unbelievable. How much influence? Did, I mean, you, we always heard rumors back in the day. Uh, how much influence did the click have uh, on the company? Because I mean, I, I kind of took it that you were you were there, but it was Sean and it was Kevin. Those guys it was. It was kind of running the show in a lot of ways. Um, or no? So the, I, I think a lot of that was. I think everybody had Vince's ear, right? Vince mm-hmm. was listening to a lot of people, and I think though, everybody took it like that. That group had this power, and they crapped on everybody. Most of the guys that had a problem with, I was in the room, even when I wasn't saying a word because I was the new guy. Yeah, yeah. And Vince would be asking them stuff, and I would listen to him put Bam Bam Bigelow over. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, did they all get along? No, but they would be like, you know, from a business standpoint. Yeah, they, there's a, a, a moment in time, and everybody talks about this meeting that took place in Indianapolis, <clears throat> where Kevin and Scott were really upset about something, and I don't remember it was creative direction of something, mm-hmm. and Scott was ready to like, I'm like, I can't take it, I'm quitting again, you know, <laughs> and. Um, but it was blown up, and Vince clearly, and I don't even remember what it was about, but Vince clearly felt like they had a point. To the point where he got Jerry Briscoe and they flew out to Indianapolis. And they, they he said, you guys stay there. We're going to fly to Indianapolis. We're going to get a room. We're going to sit down in a room and, and we're going to go through all of this. Like, like, what I remember what them saying is, clearly the company needs a change of direction and momentum. And I want opinions. So I went. It was like a La Quinta, right? Mm-hmm. I, I went just to say hello to Vince and to Jerry and was going to leave because I was like, this isn't my... I'm not. Yeah, I'm kind of new, isn't it? My level to be sitting with Vince, right. talking all this stuff. Even though I did have a relationship with him, like he would talk to me a lot, like you know, um, after my matches and things. And um, so I walked to the door. Those guys walked in. I said, "Hey, to Vince," and I said, "Hello to Jerry." And I said, "All right, I'm going to leave." And as I started to go out the door, Vince, where are you going? And I said, um, "This is this is not my place. I'm going to go and and uh, and then we'll head over to the building." And Vince was like, "Oh no, no, you're in it now. Get in here." Wow. And uh, so I sat down, and it's a meeting where Vince took rosters out and said, if it was your team, all of you individually, make your own. I don't want, to know, I don't want anybody looking at anybody else's paper. Wow. It's like being in school. What would your team be? And, and what do you think is wrong with the product? Not saying we're going to do it. I just want to know what everybody thinks. Huh. And, uh, and it's one of those things that I distinctly remember, like, like Bam Bam was a guy that was like, you know, those guys gotta go, and like he was like a big negative to it, and uh, and every single person in that room had Bam Bam as a player, On their team, yeah. and yeah, like listen, we whether we get along with him personally or not, man, he can go, mm-hmm. and he's a top guy, and he should be here, and he should be on the team, like, and it was like, so it was all business, but I that's in my mind. The first spark to me, and I'm not saying we laid claim to any of it, but the first spark of the attitude era that I ever saw was in that room because it was the conversation was a lot based on reality. Mm-hmm. Why do we have Doink the Clown? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't, you know, basketball players just wear basketball uniforms and go to the ring and, I mean, go to the court and play basketball? And Michael Jordan's the most famous guy on the planet. He's just this unbelievable basketball player. Why can't we just be wrestlers? Why do we have to be firemen or cops right. or, or doctors? Why can't it just be more real and make it more real? Let's stop insulting the intelligence, get rid of the camp. And Vince was really into the conversation. That's the first time I had ever heard it audibly like, laid out that way and I kind of feel like that was Vince going like yeah there's yeah we need to get away from all that stuff like the kids aren't into it Mm -hmm. Uh, it's too too campy I remember somebody bringing up Kiss in that meeting and saying that Kiss was the hottest thing in the world and then and then the kid 
kids like they went to Kitty and they did a cartoon mm-hmm. they did all this stuff for kids and then once the six year olds started digging all the teenagers were like I'm not watching that I'm not listening to that anymore mm-hmm. like I can't I, you know, my six year old brother does that yeah, yeah yeah and it wasn't cool to them anymore and they went from the hottest man in the world to a parody to, yeah to a parody yeah. and, and we're we're at that parody point with the business right and that was the first you know looking I didn't know that at the time right obviously I don't want to like you know, oh, the business just changed. Oh, he just left the room and like, well, that was interesting, right, or whatever. But like looking back on it, for me, was the first mention I'd heard of like changing, changing it and, yeah. and letting guys be, you know, kick ass and tough. And, you know, when you watch the business with a group of people that don't know what it is, they should all be like, wow, that was amazing. No, <laughs> look at the goofy guy in the yeah, clown yeah, suit. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like the dumpster guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's one thing about Vince. You know, people say oh, Vince is a, a genius, and he really is when it comes to this business. You know, and it always, it never has a problem with changing things. I mean, as you know nope. now, changing things completely. Like this whole show sucks. I want to change it now, or whatever it may be. Yeah, it doesn't you matter know. if it's five minutes before the show. Right. This isn't right. I don't feel this. Yeah, it's this is all wrong, and we're going a different direction. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes right, sometimes wrong, and he'll say that it's it's his decision to make the final decision it's it's his responsibility to make the final decision sometimes he's right sometimes he's wrong but he's got a pretty good track record yeah exactly right? and that's he'll right. say that hard to argue with that that's and, right um but yeah but the the genius one of the genius things i found about him working so closely with him over the years is his ability to hear all these other opinions and then wait a little bit, make you think it's his. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's always a better idea when yeah, he it's thought of it. Better idea when he thought of it, but <laughs> to 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 be open to all those things and use surround yourself. He said this to me a million times. You surround yourself with people smarter than you, mm-hmm. and then you pick their brains, and then you make the decision because mm-hmm. it's your decision to make. Mm-hmm. But the president doesn't have to be the smartest guy in the room. He's just got to have a bunch of smart people in there. And then they all give him feedback and ideas and all these things. And then you have to make the common sense decision of which one is the best. Because hmm. they're probably all pretty good. Yeah. But so which one do you want to go? And that's where the saying comes up, chocolate or vanilla, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all four of these ideas are, are phenomenal. Chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, coffee. I like yes. them all. Today we're going with chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. That's yeah. a great point. You know, um, and, and the thing is, too, I think that Vince, it, he's an intimidating guy when you first meet him. But once you can gain his trust, like, he appreciates your input. Yep. Because there's a lot of yes men around. Absolutely. And you can't be that, you know. And, and even to the point of, like, Vince is very confrontational. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you argue with him too much, he'll start to get in a stance just because it's an argument. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's best just walk away and let him digest it and let him think about it and then... He'll reasonably come back. Mm-hmm. Oh, tell me about that one more time. What were you thinking on that? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he. Um, it's just this wide open thing. And to that point, like he respects that fight and that argument and that. Um, you know, it's one of the things I think. Like you look at all the things that Sean did, and you know, there's a million times we walked out of the room, and I'm, especially in the beginning of DX and all that, I would think like, how does he not fire him? He's so <laughs> disrespectful and all these things. It's unbelievable, but. I think there was a certain level of respect for Sean that Sean had a passionate belief and was not backing down from it. Mm-hmm. And even though they went toe to toe, he would be like, "God, I like that little, you know, <laughs> yeah. that little pit bull bastard." Yeah, yeah, is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I dig that in some way, and, and that's a cool thing. But yeah, to your point, he has so many guys around him that are if Vince is not in his head, they're not in their yeah. head. If he's shaking it, they're shaking it. Yeah. What if you think Vince? Yeah. You know, <laughs> little dog. Okay, Vince. Yeah. Good, Vince. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> Sitting here at SummerSlam with Triple H, and we got to stop it here today. We'll pick it up again on Friday. We're going to talk about the Monday Night Wars, his feud with The Rock, the classic matches he had with me, Y2J, the Performance Center, NXT, Bray Wyatt. So much more to talk about on Friday. You do not want to miss this. Thanks to Triple H for joining me for part one of this crazy awesome interview. I got to thank him again for, for making himself available to do the show uh, with me for me it took me a while to get him booked uh, a few dates we were trying to work on didn't work out this didn't work on my end didn't work out on his end and finally at SummerSlam we sat down in the dressing room before the pay-per-view and talked for 90 minutes thanks to Triple H for doing the show thank you for listening and thanks to all of you who picked up the new Fozzie record do you want to start a war it debuted at number 54 on the charts so fruit our highest debut ever don't forget we're going to be hitting the road with Theory of a Dead Man starting September 17th go to fozzyrock.com to check out all of the dates uh and there's also five 
headlining shows that we're going to be doing. I want to hit on those as well during that tour. Come check us out September 18th in Abilene, Texas at the Lucky Mule with Avatar. September 25th in Beckley, West Virginia at Munchies, the return to Munchies. September 28th, Parkersburg, West Virginia at the Sixpence. October 1st in Fort Wayne, Indiana at Pierre's. And October 5th, New York City, the big return of Fozzie headlining in New York City at the Gramercy Theater. If you live in any of those areas, come check us out and have the rock and roll experience of a lifetime. And thank you for being with me because you know I wouldn't be doing this at all if not for you guys listening to this show every week. And if not for my Sexy Bee sponsors who help us pay for the production costs of doing two shows for you a week. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to do your online shopping through my Amazon links. They're easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts free banner at the top of the pagey wagey. Then click on Talk is Jericho. You'll see all three of my Amazon links, Amazon UK, Amazon USA, and Amazon Canada A. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. No extra fees or hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done and you're helping me out in the process. All right, that's that's it. That's it. That's all. In the meantime and in between time, another amazing edition of Talk is Jericho. Stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. We'll see you Friday for part two of my conversation with Triple H. Go check out the new Fozzie record and go check out some Motley Crue, especially the Motley Crue 1994 self-titled record. You won't regret it. We'll see you on Friday with more Talk is Jericho and more Triple H, the biggest podcast guest of all time. Don't miss out. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Are you ready?